Welcome to 50 Words for Murder, where we delve into the world of crime and explore the stories behind the headlines. I'm your host, Justin, and today we have a very special guest with us, Angie Solomon, whose son Grant was tra tragically lost his life in Gallatin, Tennessee, at a baseball training facility on July 20th, 2020, under what we're going to call mysterious circumstances. Even though the police are saying his cause of death was due to a traffic accident, and the hospital is saying the official cause of death was cardiac arrest due to blunt force trauma to the back of the head. Um, so we're going to be talking to her about um, her experience, what you what she's learned about the case since then. Uh, but before we get into it, I think that it's also very relevant and important to mention that Grant had just turned 18 about a month prior, and we're just going to call that foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So first of all, Angie, thank you so much for joining us today. I know that talking about your loss can be difficult, uh, but I appreciate your willingness to share your story with our listeners. And I will say now um, there is going to be, I'm going to issue a trigger warning. There is going to be what we'll call um, domestic violence and um, child sexual assault. So if those are triggers for you, you might want to not listen to this podcast. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for having me. And um, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to share um, to share my story. But um, my story is Grant's story, and um, I'm and Gracie's story. But I'm very thankful for the opportunity to share their story. And I, I appreciate you doing it. I know it's hard, but this is something that we need to. This needs a lot more optics than it's had, and our listeners will find out why as we go on. Um, but I'm I'm very I hate that we're we have met under these circumstances. But I'm glad to you know, use my platform to try to help. Thank you. Uh, so let's start from the beginning. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Grant, what he was like as a son um, and a brother? Well, yeah, that's going to be right off. Uh, uh, he was amazing. Um, Grant was um, at a very, very young age, like six months old. He was very precocious. He was, um, had wisdom and knowledge way beyond his years all the way through his life. Um, he had a auditory and photographic memory, um, which I was very jealous of. <laughs> um, as far as a son, he was so kind. He was compassionate. He was, um, he was very loving. He was very love driven. So Grant was always very loving, um, two arm, two, big two arm hugs. Um, and as a brother, he was the same to Gracie. Um, their relationship had, uh, he was also her protector, um, which he should have been able to be a child or a kid and grow up like that, but that was not the case. And so they developed a bond that was um, so close and so unique as far as, um, you know, he, he stepped up to protect her from um, their father. Um, he did the same for me. And as he grew, he took that role more seriously. And I, um, I was also um, protecting us I, as well and protecting him, I thought. But um, when, he, when he passed, we realized exactly how much he was protecting us. But he was funny. <laughs> he was so funny. He was 6'4", 210. He was a baseball player, a pitcher. He had five pitches from six different positions that he threw. Um, he was a batter's nightmare because he um, he did what they call he he dealt he dealt he dealt the cards, um, and it was very 
it was very um, exciting to watch him pitch a game simply because of the way he would work the batter. So the old timey pitcher and the catcher type thing um, that we used to talk about before we talked so much about the 100 mile hour fastball. But um, uh, he was a lot of fun. He was a a natural born leader. Uh, He, um, I mean, he was really handsome. And um, I mean, he was just everything. Yeah, you can he was really everything to Gracie and I. And um, uh, it's just been we're we still are adjusting to, and probably always will be adjusting to um, two instead of three. Going through, you know, what I've heard is that the loss of a child is something that you never get over. Mm-hmm. that it will be with you forever. I um, fortunately do not know that pain, but I know several people who do, and I know it's it's not easy. But he sounds like an amazing kid. You can just see the light in your eyes when you talk yeah. about him. Um, but he, so I mean, he just, yeah, he sounds incredible. <laughs> he sounds absolutely incredible. Um, I kind of want to go switch gears for a moment and go to the opposite end of this because I think that obviously this is important. Um, just whatever you're comfortable sharing with it, could you talk to us a little bit about your ex-husband? Um, we know that Aaron has been, or ex-husband Aaron, um, we know that he's been implicated in Grant's death and mm-hmm. um, of abuse of Gracie. So tell us a little bit about him, who he is, what he was like as a husband, a father, and what was the first red flag for you? Um, absolutely. Um, well, if this, let's go to the very beginning. The first red flag was, uh, um, he raped me and, um, that's actually how Grant got here. And, um, you know, obviously that's a huge red flag. Um, at that time I'm, I'm, I am a pharmacist today. I was a pharmacist then. Um, and I plan to, when I found out that I was pregnant, I was going to raise Grant on my own. I certainly had the ability to do that. And um, I didn't go to the police um, because in growing up, I was always taught not to talk. He involved my dad, my father, um, who I do not have a relationship with and was very strained for many, many years, for really all my life. Um, But he involved him very quickly. And they threatened me if I did not... um, marry him, you know, my dad would kill me because of a religious uh, background growing up um, in the church of Christ. My dad felt like it would make him look bad if I raised my son alone. So I did. I married my rapist and um, I just really thought that I could, I really always had just wanted to be a mom and um, I had always been I had always lived, I was used to threats in order to get me to um, comply. So that was not a different way of life for me as ver- versus now. I, I've learned through many years of counseling what that was and how to stand up for myself. Um, but at that time, it wasn't anything different. I knew what I had to do. And so that was the first red flag, obviously. But you never... I mean, I say, yes, I never, 
I thought I could just deal with it. I thought he was strange and odd and ugly. Um, but I would um, be able to live with him and ignore him or not pay attention to his strangeness, just kind of, and that's what Grant and I did. We did kind of our own thing. We, um, he was very, bu- he was busy. Um, he was on the, at that time he was a sports anchor for WSMV here in Nashville. And he was gone even longer hours than his, uh, his job would have held. So um, I was, I didn't, I wasn't paying attention to him. I was, had my head in the sand. I was working. I was being a mom. Uh, Grant and I were, uh, Grant was just, like I said it before, it was just amazing. He read books. We, it was just amazing what Grant was capable or wanted to do. And so we just, we ignored him. Um, he immediately though, um, he took a, and this is looking back after I, um, and I recommend to anyone who might be going through a situation where they think they might be being controlled, um, to get a hold of that early. And so my, uh, I was referred to a, a very wonderful counselor who taught me, but it was years later after, um, after Aaron had taken the children from their beds. Um, I learned then that he was actually prepping me back at that time in domestic violence control and abuse cycles. And so I learned about them. And so one of them is taking your money. And so I was a pharmacist living in my own house, had my, had two boxers. Um, I had a Jeep Cherokee that I had actually designed myself and it came off the fresh off the, the the rack for me you know and I was doing just I was doing fine but within two weeks he had everything that I owned uh he was in his name my jeep my house um I mean he and he took over the checkbooks he check took over the debit cards so he was very um small but he made himself very large and very dominant and uh I was expecting Grant um after Grant was born, um, I had become toxemic. There was another red flag when he wouldn't let me go buy new undergarments that would fit from my size 16, 18 body down to my size four um, again. And I remember that far back, which would have been within the first 10 months or 11 of knowing him that um, I went to Victoria's Secret and bought five for 25 and women out there know who I'm talking about, know what I'm talking about. And uh, I said, this is the first time I, I don't, I'm going to defy him. And I, because I was taught that's not what we do. We do not, we do not, we're submissive. We do not deny, defy. So um, I was already being controlled at that point. And then you know, it wasn't until Gracie was born that things started to get, um, he wouldn't let her out of his sight. He really began to hate Grant. Um Grant showed great promise in athleticism early on, coordination, hand-eye, things like that. But that wouldn't be unusual. Um, I come from an incredibly athletic family. And so, um, you know, it was a lot of baseball, basketball things, Grant playing in the yard. But then when Gracie was born, Grant became, uh, Aaron hated him very much and uh, just wanted to watch what Grant would do as a trophy, uh, make make him look good even on the little t-ball field. Versus Gracie, he wouldn't let out of his sight if he was at, at home. And when he was home, you know, he wouldn't let me bathe her. He wouldn't let me. Uh, and, and when I say wouldn't, people say, how could that? Well, by this time, he's really working on me as a domestic violence victim, which I wasn't aware that those were some of the sips. The control was some of those 
isolation, things like that. But he also uh, started to become violent. And if I did bathe her while he wasn't home, he would, you know, when I wasn't looking, I would get shoved down a set of stairs and land at the bottom of the heart or I would have my head knocked into a door or wall or so it became very frightening for me to um, little by little, he whittled away at me and he got more and more uh, whittled away at a very, very um, independent uh, in charge. Uh, my resume was stellar job positions were uh, management, high management, upper management offers to climb that ladder, so to speak. And um, everybody loved me. And that was returned as well. And over that, over that period of time, he whittled away at that person until there was a shadow, if even that of her left, there was enough of me left to still fight. Um, he, he was, he also, he made a stress, he made us dress alike. Um, so he would pick the color. Uh, he'd get off. At that time, he was on the news desk in the mornings from, I guess, four to seven, I think it was. And he would leave much earlier than he than he should was necessary and come home much later. But again, you know, um, I never dreamed it was uh, what he would later admit that it was. And he was very hard on Grant. Um and he was just very fixated on Gracie and he would pick the color. And if he said Navy, then that day he would go everywhere with all of us, even to my dental appointments or doctor appointments, anything, hangnail with the kids. He, he would be there and we'd all be dressed to match him. And uh, that was my job was to make sure we all matched out in public. And um, it was a very fake, false life. It was impossible to keep up with him. He never, he never slept. He never rested. He never, he was always on go. Everybody else, all the rest of us were worn out and he's still going. But then uh, we're, we're moving really fastly, uh, fast toward 2008 when I found out that um, I thought he was involved with other women. Um, the marriage that we had wasn't one that that would bother me about because it was really not a love, was a loveless marriage, but but um, it wasn't. It was prostitutes. And um, I asked him about it and he admitted it. And I just. So from that point on, it was started to get violent, uh, more violent at night uh, when the kids would go to bed. Then I would start getting having getting beaten. Um, I asked Grant one time if he had ever been hurt by him. I knew, I knew verbally and um, emotionally. Yes. But, and he said yes when he, um, every time we went to the doctor for his yearly physical, Grant was expected to be very tall and he'd be projected at 6'3", 6'2", 6'3", then when he was little. And every time we go to a yearly visit, Aaron, who stood 5'8", with shoes on, would, I get, hold, hold Grant's hands behind his back like an Indian and entrap him in that helpless position. It's supposed to be the, like, a, like you're handcuffed, but do Indian sunburns on his wrist until he cried and tell him that that way he, that's the way he would always know that he'd be big enough to control him. So, um, this thinking back and talking about it, it was just, we lived in a horror movie, um, and step outside and he was perfect. And he was bonding with, uh, what I would have called my family. I don't anymore, but 
at that time. That's what he was. I know what that's like. I don't know if you know this, but I'm also, I have no contact, well, at least with my mom and have been mm -hmm. for four years. Yeah, so. no, I, none at all with, with, with my, with, I don't even really call them that. I just call them my birth family. And I have a, a sister by birth as well. And all three of them were becoming, um, he was conversing with them a lot. I found out later because I got the phone records, but um, the intensity picked up after I found out about the prostitutes. And then I started uh, digging myself. That was back when MySpace and had just MySpace was out and Facebook had just come out. And so I, I started looking and digging and I started to find that he was involved in more things than just that. And it was all of sexual nature. So uh, that's when I was diagnosed with PTSD. So we had technical difficulties, but we are back. Um, we think, because uh, for the first time ever, apparently Angie's Wi-Fi went out and we think that it was Grant telling her to uh, wrap it up. <laughs> so I don't know if you believe in that kind of stuff. I do. Angie does. But anyway, so we're going to do that. I'm going to let Angie wrap up what she was talking about, her husband, Aaron, and then we're going to get into some some interesting, more interesting things here. So yeah, Angie. That would definitely be something Grant would do, would just be cut the whole Wi-Fi in the house. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> it's like a good, a good memory, but anyway, um, which is nice to have. But uh, yeah, just to wrap that up, it, it really just was, uh, became live life, living life with a monster. Uh, just a real, uh, a, a, a straight up monster who was always ready to attack, who controlled everything in the household, who controlled uh, how long um, Grant was allowed to go to the bathroom and at what point um, he was allowed to potty number two. And if he couldn't go at that time, he was forced to wait until the next day. Um, and he had to come back and do that on command and on Aaron's command. And um, Grant was so frightened of him that he would actually be fearful to go uh, use the restroom at school because he was afraid his, his father would find out. So that's kind of example of the the mental uh, the mind game the control the for Gracie she was um, she was uh, at that time she was almost five years old um, for myself I was just really getting uh, beaten to a pulp every night the worst um, up until uh, Gracie divulged to me the worst was. Um, he wouldn't allow the children. He decided what they had to eat and what they had, what they couldn't eat. And he did all the shopping and he did all the cooking and just really stripped me of all my rights in the house. And, um, he, I wanted them to have milk and I gave them milk and I knew that would be, I would receive a beating over that. And that night when he came after me, I pulled a knife on him. I said, if you ever touch me or hit me again, uh, I'll use this. And from that, it escalated to just, um, surviving attempts at my on my life uh repeatedly now at this point we're in january uh december january of 2013 and um that was when gracie came to me and told me what her uh father was doing to her in the bath by putting what she thought was a bar of dove soap up in her and she would no longer take a bath she demanded it and um i just remember just oh you know i was so um consumed with my own uh, battle with him, uh, with the 
trying to figure out what it was, what he was doing and the pain. I have migraines every day from holding him off at night. I have missed it. That was the first thing that came to my mind was, oh my God, you missed it. So, but I uh, knew I had to get us out, but so that's what I was mentioning early about my fight. Um, I still had that in me, even though um, he had done everything he could to strip me of who I was. Um, as far as the strong, independent person that you see today, he really, uh, it's, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. And I want people to to take heed to that, to see the signs get out. But um, I did ask him if he was doing that to Gracie. I confronted him. He said, yes. And if you ever tell anybody what's going on in this house, you'll never see your kids again. Um, so it was brutal. Uh, Grant was hated, yelled at, screamed at. I was, we did, we had one vehicle. He kept it all the time. He kept the keys. We were in prison that time in, in actual within, within walls. And um, a friend of mine, uh, we, I Grant sang in a Christian band. And of course, sports was big between us too, but our big thing together was singing. And he sang in a Christian band and fronted it. And I worked with that band and worked with his vocals and he had an amazing voice. And so we, uh, I was at band practice um, one day in uh, March and one of my, fr one of my friends was there and she asked me what was wrong with my eye. It was black. And for the first time in my life, I told the truth, um, which I'm not supposed to do. But my friend got me connected with a doctor here in town. Um, he's since passed, but wonderful man. And he kind of ran an underground railroad for domestic violence victims to get them out and get their children out. So I was able to connect with him. And I, uh, he asked me to keep notes of what was going on in the house on a daily basis. And I did. I kept them on my phone. And one day I was taking the, went to pick up the kids at school and I left my phone at home and Aaron was there. He didn't have a job at that point. He'd been fired from channel four. He couldn't get a job at any TV station in town. And he could not get a job at any radio station and keep it. So uh, he was home and he uh, found my phone. When I came back, it was floating in the toilet. And he said, you know what this means? Uh, you've been talking. And I didn't know it at that time, but I had less than five weeks to get us out because he was, he had already started unrolling a plan to um, take the children in the night, uh, frame me for suicide attempt, which I did not do. And um, I mean, I really think he thought he was going to kill me and that would work and then set it up as a suicide. Um, but anyway, if you, if you roll forward to, to that night of May the 10th, um, people talk about that a lot it, because that's the attempt that that's the time that he uh, tried to put me in the hospital um, but what he did was he slipped a dryer cord over my neck in a fit of rage and said, you know, too much, this will be quick and painless. Um, and I looked up and Grant was standing behind him. He was nine years old. And, um, I screamed his name as I, as I often did. This was not unusual. This was the sixth time in that five month period from the first of the year till that, till that day it was the sixth time that I had escaped him trying to kill me. And fortunately that day I did escape it because I kept yelling his name, but maybe he felt Grant's presence. I don't know, but whatever it did, he uh, just dropped and took off running and screamed, Angie, Angie, oh my God. And, and ran um, that I went on again. It was the way of life for us. I went on to a field trip. I took Gracie to the zoo and chaperone classmates and 
No, I didn't call police because that would be breaking the rules of the house. And I'd already done that enough. And I was terrified of him and what he'd do to my kids and to me. And so I, um, was, uh, two days later, I, uh, I'm at home. I had stayed at, the kids wanted me to be at school all the time because they were afraid he would hurt me while I was gone. But I assured them that day on that Friday in May that if I went home, I was going to pack the car so that we could leave. Yet Grant had a baseball tournament in Crossville and I'm from that area. And I knew if I could, I do not have a relationship with my family, but I knew that if I could get home to my people um, who love my, all my friends, goodness, Jackson County, Putnam County, that somebody would help us and help me get back on my feet. And, um, I had taken a conference call that morning. I dropped the kids off at school. I watched them walk down the hall and neither one of them wanted me to leave them there. And I went home and I took a call. I was a Medicare. I was on a, a, a pharmacy expert witness on a Medicare case here locally. I had a three hour call that morning and, um, then everything was ready to go. And when I walked back into my den from my bedroom of taking the call, my, my birth parents and Aaron were standing there and they were going to commit me because I had tried to commit suicide. That's what they said. Um, it's horrible. They just, at first they just said, you're, you're, they're going to commit me when it was when I got to the hospital that the, um, I didn't, I didn't go willingly. I went at the request of the paramedics who said these people are on the front porch are going to kill you because they had separated everybody. My head was just spinning. I was like, I could tell that they were that angry. I just, they told me to go in and blacklist my name, uh, which did, would allow no one to know anything about me but me. So that's what I did. And that enraged them even more because they couldn't find any information about me. Uh, the nurse came in and she said, uh, I just was wanting to know if you will be willing to talk to police. I said, for what? I didn't tell you anything. And she's like, Angie. He's out there saying you tried to commit suicide and we can look at you and tell that you didn't, you know, you have no marks, you have no. And so for a minute there, I felt. Um, it had to be validating. I felt safe. And, and I was also shocked that they could tell and I could hear Aaron out there screaming suicide, suicide. And the police officers yelling back, this is domestic violence. And just, it was really loud. And, um, I talked to them. I didn't know the DA could press charges without you <laughs> pressing. So they can. Yeah, yeah they can. And can. so I talked to them and uh, the doctors uh, all kept me overnight because they were so afraid for me to go leave alone with them out there. I had no ID. I had nothing. I had no money. I had nothing. And so the police officer spent the night in the lobby waiting on me so he could drive me to the next day to get an order of protection. And, um, that was where I learned about domestic violence was those doctors sending social workers to bring papers. And I learned about power and control. And I just thought me, but like, yeah, you missed, you missed the signs, but that's, but the thing with that kind of stuff is that's often how it goes. Mm -hmm. You don't really, you, it becomes your new normal. Well, and it was, and it was slow. It was a slow leak and a slow burn until you're the, you're to the point of, you're so busy fighting and trying to stay alive and the threats and everything that you, what other people are doing in their life. You're not, you don't go to the grocery store. You're not going to the bank. You're not, you, you're not picking my kids up from school, but that was it. And then really to wrap that up is that he, uh, while I was, while he thought I was committed, he thought he had committed me. He did not, but he, um, 
I got out. I, I got home the next Saturday. The judge struck my, struck my children from the order of protection. Um, that was probably my first experience with good old boy network. And well, we're going to, we're going to get to that and power. And just to say that when I got home, I called Aaron and he was like, what are you doing out? The next morning was mother's day. And I waited and uh, actually it will be uh, 10 years this year that I waited for um, the kids to come home for mother's day. And I heard a man yelling in my, I'd break a glass window to get in my house. And um, I heard a man yelling with Solomon, Miss Solomon the next morning. And so I ran in and Yes, sir. And he said, are you okay? Are you okay? And it was a, we, it was a da Davidson County. We lived in Nashville. It was a Davidson County Sheriff's deputy. Um, and there were like six or seven of them on my back porch. And they were there because Aaron had called the police station again that morning and said I was suicidal. So he tried again. That didn't work. And, um, what he was doing from Friday to Monday was filing an order of protection against me and filing for divorce and taking the children. And that was officially my last day as a mom. That's really heavy. If, if what, if what he did to us inside the home wasn't criminal enough, what he did in the next 10 years, uh, through court using, court mobilization, him, his power control, and the million dollar trust that he, multi-million dollar trust he came into has definitely been criminal. And it's really what's brought us to this day. Uh, you know, he still operates under that norm. And we were, we, we really thought we were out of it. But when I opened the door, I opened the door on evil. Yeah, back, I, back all those years ago. I appreciate you sharing. I know that that kind of stuff is not easy to talk to. So I appreciate you sharing it with everyone. And well, I, I want to share. I, it's not easy. I had to do a lot of forgiving of myself through counseling. Um, but I want other women and men to understand these signs. It's very important because it doesn't matter how independent, strong, or vivacious, dominant, good you you know how in control you think you have it. First sign, go. Get out. Yeah, I agree. Everything you have, leave. Let's um. Let's go to the day. Let's go to to July twentieth, twenty twenty. Okay, the day that that grant was taken from you. Um. I think that we should probably start. Let the listeners hear Aaron's nine one one call. Go get to hear his voice. Um. I don't want. I want listeners, as you hear this, um, I have my opinions of it. Angie obviously has hers, and we'll talk about that afterwards. But as you're listening to this, um, formulate your opinions on what you think, okay? That's what I'll say. I'm trying. Where's your emergency? It's 1357 South Water Street. It's off 109. Please hurry. You said 57? Please hurry. Okay, what's going on? 57. Uh, my, my son's truck backed over him, and he, it's rolled over him and dragged him into the ditch, and it's on top of him. He's trapped under the truck, and I... I yeah, he... I, I, somehow it drug him underneath it. Yes, my son is under it. 
I'm trying to no. I'm I'm trying to call nine one one. Okay, what's your name? Oh my God. My name is Aaron Solomon. And you said oh my God. Thirteen fifty seven South Water Avenue, right? Yes. How old yes. is the male? He's eighteen. He just turned eighteen a couple of weeks about a month ago. It's my son. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is not good. Is he awake? Can oh, please hurry. I don't know. I don't think so. He's not. Uh, he's not alert, right? No, he's out, and he's trapped. I got three guys here, and he's trapped under the truck. Okay. Oh my God. I understand, sir. Stay on the phone. Meanwhile, we get somebody out there. What's your name? Aaron Solomon. All right, Aaron. Huh? What kind of vehicle is it? It's a Toyota Tacoma, Tacoma, and it's the, the vehicle has to, he's underneath the vehicle. Okay, I've got the, that. And, and it's. Okay, I've got that. What color is it? It's a white truck. That's my son. It's somehow backed up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on one, I'm on with 911 right now. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Was your son working on it? No. No, he was just getting out of it. It's the it's we're on an incline and I guess he didn't have it in park or something or it wasn't engaged or Oh my god. Is oh my your god, son I can't still believe not this. responding? No, no. And he's still under no. no one can get yes. out from under no, it's, we've no. We've got units and routes to you. I'm just asking you questions before we can huh? update them, okay? Can you check and see huh? for you then? I, I, somebody's telling me that he's coming too. Okay. Maybe. He is waking up Maybe. trying to keep him still. So he is. Well, he can't, yeah, he can't move. I don't think he can move. I, I don't know. Okay. I no, he can't move. He's trapped. Okay, well, we got somebody in round. Now, when he wakes uh, up, he might I'm be telling scared. Him, Can somebody I'm get down him. there and talk to him? Yeah, somebody talk to him. Shit. There's blood. What, is he facing up or down? He's facing up. They said he may aspirate. We need to hurry. Oh, my God. So, does he have blood coming out of his mouth? Yeah, he's, yeah there's blood coming out. Yeah, somehow it drug him down, I think. I don't know whether it wasn't in park or what, or if it didn't engage the brakes, or it drug him underneath somehow. Okay. They said he's facing up. Okay. But he's bleeding from his mouth. So, Grant, turn your face to the side if you can, barely, but be careful. Don't move him, okay? We can't move him. We can't, we can't move him. All right, these and they're there. I'm gonna let you go, okay? Yeah, okay. okay. All right. Uh -huh, bye bye. All right. So I know you've heard that several times. I've heard it a few times. Um, now the listeners have heard it, so they can formulate their own opinion. Um, I shouldn't probably put anything in their in their mind, but um, to me. It reminds me a lot of the Alec Murdoch phone call 
when uh, he called about his, his wife and his son. Uh, on top of that, I've seen the medical records that you shared with me. I've seen the diagrams of Grant's body. I've seen the police reports. And for listeners who want to see that, um, those are on my Instagram, Justin on TikTok on Instagram. And I will repost those so they're easy to find. Um, so they're going to be under a May 1st date. So that being said, the scene is very interesting. And there's a lot of uh, what we're going to call curiosities, I think, about the scene. Um, so let's kind of talk about that a little bit. What do you what do you want to share with us about the scene that day? What you um, It's all a lie. Okay. Uh, uh, what I know is that my son was in a ditch underneath his own truck. When the paramedics got there, he had a thready pulse and low respirations, but he was alive. And he went into cardiac arrest when they uh, shifted him to move him out from under the truck. That's the only truth that's in the reports. Um, so, the, oh, go ahead, sorry. The, well, um, in the 911 call, there's a lot I could say about that. It, I, I know Aaron, I know him very well, unfortunately. And um, that's, that is, that's his acting voice trying to have emotion. He's not going to win awards with that voice. Alec Murdoch did a much better job and you could see, in my opinion, and you could, you could see through that. Mm -hmm. And you could, to me, you can see this to me does not sound like a parent who is concerned about their child. Actually the opposite. Um, one of the, uh, you know, he never went down to him. And That's what I, I heard. I listened to the call over and over. He'd already told, I asked him if he had gone to him at the, at the hospital and he said no. And I just, you know, there was not, their relationship had become very tumultuous in the months leading up to this, but to not go down there. Yeah. That's not that's to not even a, to even a complete stranger. Well, to not go. It's not. It's not a It's not a natural human reaction to not go go to someone's side. We actually have a natural human reaction to be helpers. Um. I also sit and listen to it, and and I know that those were my son's last breaths. And he's up there making sure the 911 operator can hear his name clearly. Um, I, I, I want to, there's something about the 911 that I, I think, I don't think that you and I have talked about it directly. Um, and I, from what I understand, you might disagree with what I'm going to say here uh, based on what I got from the call and what I got from the police report. Uh, but in that call, it sounds like Aaron is speaking to other people. And I believe in the report, it was, three or four men, three men that were there for including him. Right. Um, when the police arrived, which the listeners just heard that phone call to a 911 in total was around the four minute mark, a little over four minutes. And in that period of time, when the police arrived, there was nobody there, but Aaron, 
Now, I know when I've spoken to our mutual friend, Ethan, he said that he hears somebody's voice. I believe that he's told me that you believe that there was somebody else there that he, you know, but to me, I just don't see somebody else, especially being from somebody in that area, being in that situation and not waiting till police paramedics arrived, not trying to lift or move. Because if you had four, you know, men with adrenaline and strength, you could have probably moved the back of a pickup truck off. That's what I'm going to say. And I think that that probably is a good segue into the ditch, mm-hmm. um, which is where he was found. And I guess if I'm not trying to like take all, take all this, cause I definitely want to hear your thoughts on it, but I think to paint a picture for those who haven't gone to Instagram or to see these pictures yet, um, I think what's important to note is that the truck tires were turned. I can't remember if they were all the way to the right or the mm-hmm. left, which all was, the way to the right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there was a fairly steep incline. I'd say maybe 35, 45 degrees of an yes. incline down to the day. Very steep. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for listeners, if you think about turning your wheels all the way to the right and going backwards, your car is going to go in a circle. And if you look at the pictures, not only will you see that the car is, the truck is flat on the, like straight, not turned at all, where it was found. Um, there's a few other things that are interesting. I believe that the tire marks in the grass and whatnot show that the truck appears to have really been more like backed in or pulled in forward, mm-hmm. uh, backed in or pulled in. There's also the, the fact that inside the truck, and outside the truck, but inside the truck, um, which you have pictures of, he's got like a, Grant's got like a cooler on his seat. He's got a cup in the center console and that type of a jolt would have probably moved those items. Now, one thing that we haven't said yet is that what Aaron has claimed was that a 2015 Toyota Tacoma, basically while in park, rolled backwards now here's the thing i know that cars can have issues toyota is not one of those manufacturers that have those types of issues um i have never heard of a car being in park and rolling while it was in park and, and just 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 rolling, not stopping. It wouldn't. It's not something that would happen. But that's that what was told. And on top of that, I said the inside. But if I if I'm correct, there were he had like a spare tire or something in the back of the oh. truck too. Four of them, and none of those had moved, bounced out either. And again, go look at the pictures, and you'll see. Um, also, you know what? I'm going to let you talk about if you're okay with it, the dragging, and then I want to talk about the burns, injuries on the body. If you're in the scrapes. I think if you're comfortable talking about that, if you want me to, I can, but I figured. No, okay. Um, the, um, you know, Aaron, his, Aaron's story has bounced between, um, the specifics. So he doesn't really have one narrowed down, but his main story ideal is they saw Grant get out and go toward the back of the vehicle, um, to get his gear, baseball gear, because they were at a baseball training facility. And then 
then the the dip truck he looked down for the email and the truck disappeared so that would even go further to say that the truck was fine in park for a second and then all of a sudden it just decides to start rolling without grant in it and then he goes on to say that it dragged him uh it, and you know he's saying that on the 911 call even but he was saying that uh, at the hospital to other people not to me but he said it dragged him across pavement um, not the kind now pay you know a pavement a nice new paved parking lot will rip you up your skin up but um this was one of those old like when i was young i played basketball on these kind of courts that were just beat up pavement just shredded and um so it was it was about um 20 feet 25 feet of being would be he would be dragged and grant six four two ten. And then he would have been dragged by the same vehicle, which which means he would have had to have been attached somewhere to the vehicle uh, down into riprap ditch that was so deep that if I stand in the middle of that ditch that you from the road, you can't see me. So it's I'm five, five, but it's it's very, very deep. And pictures don't do it justice because it's incredibly steep. It's very so steep. He would, have, he, he would have had to have been dragged down across those rocks under this vehicle that was hot because it had driven from Gallat from Franklin to Gallatin. Which um, if I may interject for people who don't know, obviously the the geography of that, that's about an hour, hour and 15 yes. minutes away. So, and this was also in July where we're in the South and it's very hot. So um, and I think this is important. And I think this is where she's going. Think about how hot the muffler and the engine and everything in this car would have been. And I'll let you continue. Well, you know, and I could even, um, after we, he let us see the truck like two weeks later and let Hannah, Hannah crawled, it was running and it only been running for about five minutes. And Hannah, his girlfriend crawled under the truck to see what she could see. She wanted to be where Grant was. I had already done that. And she, uh, touched, I don't know anything about the, but that the plate, there's a plate under there. That's like, I guess the engine is right above it. She accidentally touched that with her right leg and she she got a blister and she still has the scar today. So that's how hot it got just two weeks later and within five minutes. So the truck bottom had to be hot. He had to be attached by, to her in story to make. But yet when um, when I got to him at the hospital, you know, he was already called, pronounced and cold. Um, and he had not a scratch on him. No burns, no scrapes, no bruises, nothing. He looked perfect. Like he had just walked out of the shower because they had the towel uh, or the sheet from the waist down. And his hair was, his head really curly hair and his hair was looked wet. And that was because not to be, I mean, I've worked in ER, so, but it was blood that had dried. So it looked shiny, but, but from a distance, he was perfect. There were there was nothing except he had a bruise to his jaw, this the left jaw, and it. Um, but the 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 bruise was so tiny that that I knew that that was where the I hadn't seen the goggles yet, but I knew that was a mark the goggles sports goggles had left teeny little mark here bruise. His teeth on the bottom because they still had his they still had the intubation cup in and the teeth on the bottom left were laid in which I, that was where the blood was coming from. And then he had a, uh, a fractured skull 
a blunt force trauma blow to the back of the head. What do you believe? What do you believe caused that? Aaron. With you a bat. Do. Yeah. <laughs> and people can look, like I said, go to the Instagram if you want to see the diagrams, um, see the police reports. None of this stuff is for the faint of heart, um, knowing what happened. Um, now let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about a couple other things. So the Gallatin Police Department came out for 57 minutes. They were there on this scene, 57 minutes. It was ruled a traffic accident. They took Aaron's word for it. Aaron refused an autopsy. This vehicle, which supposedly had just malfunctioned, he was able to essentially drive off and take. There was no investigation on it. And um, from what you've told me, he drove that car for about another seven months and without any issues. And here's the thing, too. And I know I mentioned earlier that Toyotas don't really break. And I'm sure somebody out there will be like, we'll have that example because, you know, I'm sure there is one. Um, but if you research a Tacoma having this issue, it does not exist anywhere. It would have, it would have to be a completely one off on what was at that time a five year old truck, which is not in Toyota years, not very old. Um, I, I hold Toyota obviously in high regard, but, um, anyway, so they were there for 57 minutes. They took him at his word. They didn't take the car. There was no investigation. Again, Aaron refused, um, the autopsy. And then, um, there was some, I don't really, you can maybe tell me exact us what it is. Not that it necessarily matters a whole lot, but some kind of insurance thing in the car, the truck ends up, what, seven-ish months later in a salvage yard. Yeah, and well, we had we had eyes on the truck. Gracie had asked for the truck because it would be the last thing um, that would smell like Grant. And um, Aaron said no. Um, so, but he promised, and Gracie doesn't ask directly. She asked through me to ask him. So, um, because she doesn't have contact and now she does have a no contact order, but I did ask and he said, no, uh, but he said, I will not sell it. I will not let it go without letting you all know, but we had eyes on the truck and on February it disappeared of 2021. And in March we were desperately searching for it. And a friend of mine ran, ran a van and it was on an auction yard. It had been uh, the day before it had been to Ford dealership um, for oil change and body work. And on the um, Carfax report, it was fine. So um, the other thing in that, my understanding is you had kind of an investigation done on that truck yourself where I did. they analyzed the transmission or the black box. What did, what did that, what did that find that independent investigation? What did it find? And who, um, if you want to share who who did? If it was a company, you're welcome to to give like the credentials. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was ASI, and they um, are actually um, they're forensic. Um, the they're forensic. Uh, I guess um, automobile computer. Uh, they work with homicides. Uh, they have people on their staff, like the person who directly worked with Work Grant's case, who was was with Metro for 28 years, just doing vehicular homicide and homicide. Um, so what we were praying for when we found the truck on the salvage lot was that the next day after the pot, after, after no issues being at, at the, at the oil change, uh, the next day it was listed as, uh, salvaged. And I want to point out too that, um, 
this truck, you know, Aaron bought Toyota too because of the their outstanding safety ratings and all this. It, this is what he drives now. But um, the outstanding safety, not- outstanding reliability. They are they are phenomenally yeah. well built cars. That's correct, and they last forever. But anyway, so but his but he put it in his his stepdad's name, Lee Solomon. But Aaron had the insurance on it. So what they did was um, they took it to an insurance agent in um, Manchester, Tennessee. We finally tracked him down. He was hiding. We tracked him down and they, they basically turned the car in as south as totaled and got the insurance money from it. Um, us getting it off that lot was just fortuitous because it was already sold and the um, person who owned the auction lot blocked the sale and for, in order for me to purchase it through a broker. Um, that way we were able to have it analyzed. We were all praying the black box was still on there. They had basically the, what was totaled about it was just something I could have done or you and I could have done with crowbars and, you know, like pop the gas cap off and, um, pop a, uh, pop the front bumper, make it but fall off. And then we're going to take the door handle off, but everything that they had take, removed was in the back of the truck. Interesting. Yeah, so everything's back there, even today, where I have it stored and hidden. But um, the black box was there. And um, the black box showed, and I have the report um, that uh, is finalized, and it's ready. You know, we have all the evidence to go to court. We just don't have an open case. But in this report, it said the vehicle did not make any uh, quick, short, uh, quick stops or starts. It did not experience anything but a normal drive day. It gave the range of speed, none of which would uh, support a vehicle rolling uh, wildly out of control down a steep grade hill. Um, it also showed no wear or tear, no bumps, bruises, no bumps, damages, no jostling to the vehicle that day, um, which it would have shown if it had gone over the riprap, as Aaron describes it, down into the ditch and out the other side. Um, and it... it um, it goes as far as to say that um, someone was still in the uh, vehicle with a seatbelt on. Um, a seatbelt was engaged, but also that in the truck's last three seconds prior to it being shut off, it was um, the steering wheel was being turned sharply to the right. The accelerator was being depressed and then the brake was was employed and the vehicle was turned off, was placed in park, and the key it was turned off, and the keys were left in the ignition. And that is exactly how paramedics and um, the tow truck driver found it with it turned see off, that. Park and with it, the ignition. Yeah, and if you go and look at the pictures, people who want to do that, you'll see the keys are in the ignition of this, mm-hmm. this truck. And on top of that, and I think you kind of touched on it, but I, I also because I forgot to mention it too. When you look at the truck um, and you look at where it was, there were big rocks there, and there were no. Um, like gouges, dents, scrapes, whatever, on the bottom of the truck where there definitely would have been where these rocks are. That's right. So, Nor was there any, like, like for it to have dragged Grant, he had to have been hung to something, tethered to something. Grant was 6'4", 210, athlete at his prime, except he had just had COVID, which was a big question is why would Aaron make this appointment anyway if he has COVID? But, um, but let me tell you, he would have fought the truck and won. He he was athletic, he's big, and and so where was he hung and 
at what point on there's nothing on the vehicle that shows that any human was attached, hung, dragged. None of there's nothing uh, without being too. It, there was no there was no skin. There's no blood. There there's there's blood underneath where he would have coughed. But it but in the direction that that blood is shown, it actually also as much as the truck's position defies it rolling down the hill the direction of that cough where he coughed laying under the truck is going in the wrong direction to support the story that was um, told to the police and believed by the police and close the case well, I, I think, so i think that that's a good i think that's a really good segue into the next part i know we're, we're starting to run short on time but um you've you have all this information to me anybody logical would see that there's something like I said, well, cause we don't, we don't want to get sued. Right. So we'll just say curiosities, right. There are curiosities mm -hmm. with this. Um, you have pictures that back that up. Um, you have reports from the hospital that back that up. And now you have um, a forensic analysis on the truck that backs it up. So to me, that seems like that would be enough information to be able to go to the police, right? And open up an investigation. So tell us right. about the investigation and that process, you know. There never was an investigation. Yeah. Um, everything that was supposed to, would, have be, would be done in investigation, including an accident reconstruction. None of that was done. He, his life was uh, wiped off the face of the earth in 50 minutes, 57 minutes. At 37, they called the um, a mom and pop tow truck to tow it. Uh, it was, um, it, it, they just treated it as a parking lot incident and not, there's never been an investigation. Uh, every time we've, I've been fighting for this for, it will be three years in July and every door gets shut in my face. Every door gets shut in the faces of the people who go. And, you know, I really have a difficult time with that only because we do have all the info, this information, but this is an 18 year old at that time. He he's 18, but he's still in school. So he's still technically considered a minor in Tennessee until he's graduated from high school. He lived here with me and everything was done wrong that day. But why, why not just say, let, we all want to know what happened to this, to this boy. I, I don't understand the hesitancy in that I, I it's always let's find out what happened let's make sure we know or let's make sure that that this doesn't happen to another kid that's driving a Toyota Tacoma because there's tons of them out there you know and, and Aaron's very litigious he obviously look what he's done to me in court I've been over 275 times because of him through this divorce and and what he's turned into custody and everything else but but he would have sued Toyota if it if it had malfunctioned but there was that's it's, true. I had, I had not even thought about that, but yeah, that yes, was, so but uh, he knows that it didn't cause for a lawsuit and Toyota would have invested yes. it. Yeah. Because that's what he said on the 911 call is this truck. He also blames Grant. He must not have put it in park. So that's also it was in park. That's the thing. When you look at the pictures, it was in park, but that's classic victim blaming. Like I'm going to blame Grant for what's fighting. Yeah, correct. that's correct. Um, and so, so yes, but he would have sued Toyota. I mean, and then he would have kept all the money for himself. I mean, that's who he is. That's so, so, but the fact that people that are, I mean, this has gone all the way to the governor. It's a, to the attorney general who calls it a homicide um, and says that the investigation 
um, talks about an investigation, talks about it being a crime scene, um, gave that as talking points to the governor. It's we, I mean, we've, we've, there's, it's hard to find someone here in a position, the DA in Sumner County that, that can't have, that doesn't have the power to open the case, just open the case and find out what happened to Grant. You know, there was one witness and when someone dies from it, when someone, it, when anyone passes in a situation like this, immediately, whoever it is, that one witness might've just happened upon the scene, but they become a suspect. So a person of interest, at least. So they never talked to the person of interest again. They let it go. And the other thing about that is, uh, you know, it's not about all I've ever, all I want to know is what happened to my son. Okay. You know, if it happens to be that the only witness there had something to do with it, then so be it. But why so many, why everyone just shuts the door immediately? Well, it, let me ask. Well, actually, me ask that's you. a red flag. Well, let me ask you that because I think that's that's good for, for the next question. Um, you know, and I know the answer, obviously, you know the answer, obviously, but the listeners don't know the answer. So uh, why didn't they investigate further? The good old boys, the good old boy network. Do you want to elaborate on that? Because I, I mean, like I said, I know, I know, but it's power is power, control and money. Um, how, how does Aaron have the power that he has? How would he be able to silence these people? Uh, well, Aaron has, he came into the multi-million dollar trust from a great aunt. Um, his biological father passed and that's how it came into him. Actually came in the day that he took the children from their beds. I started dispersing. So it disperses in small amounts and then larger. Um, so there's money. It requires money. It requires um, relationship and influence. Um, and that comes from his position uh, on the news for so many years. It can also come from connections he's made in society, people who have in influence as well. And then. Um, like, like, know, he, like, like who, for example? <laughs> well, um, Are you, was, if you, or do you, maybe you don't want to say I can say if you don't want to say. No, I don't mind saying. And then you can add to if I miss anybody. But I mean, Aaron knows Aaron is. I knew he was connected. I did not know he's connected as high as he is, but he's connected to all the major players in the state and the in the GOP. Uh, the same people that did to uh, the Tennessee Three, uh, Bill Lambert. Uh, William. He just happens to be the House Rep from Gallatin. Um, uh, Haggerty uh, in the Senate just happens to be the senator from Sumner County. Uh, Aaron is friends with Bill Lee. Aaron is friends with uh, Jack Johnson. Deanna Johnson is the one who put the order on me in 2020, uh, 2020 in February that I couldn't file anything else against Aaron in court civilly to protect my children. And Grant was gone four months later. Her husband is Senator Jack Johnson. And all of them sat under the church or cult watch of Steve Berger, the the at that time pastor of the mega church, as people call it here in Grace Chapel. So these were a very this is a very connected group of people. There are other people that he's very connected with, with power. Um, the judges, uh, the attorneys, because he has the ability in a good old boy network, the money slipped to these judges to make these decisions or put into their PAC committees or or in senators and things like that. It's donated to their um to their campaigns and there's ways to get the money to them. And they, they take it readily in order to make sure something happens. And once Aaron came into that money, he already knew a lot of them from Jeff Long. 
Jeff Long was the sheriff here. I told him in Williamson County, I told him two different times. I thought he was my friend. I thought his, yeah, no, his wife was is my friend. And I had met them because Aaron was on the news at social functions. So um, I told him twice over 10 years that my, my children and I were being harmed. We were being beaten and we were being, you know, please help us. You know, he, he didn't the second time he patronized me, but he did nothing. Now he is director of Homeland Security and the Tennessee Highway Patrol. Well, who was the, who was actually in charge of the scene that day? The ditch is not a parking lot. The no. ditch is actually property of the state of Tennessee. So the Tennessee Highway Patrol had jurisdiction. They're nowhere to be found, nor does Jeff Long want to even entertain consideration. I think, too, I think too, for people who don't know um, the players in Tennessee, there's a couple of names I want to go. There's a couple of things that I want to go back and, and mention, if that's OK. Yes. Um, Bill Lee, who Aaron sat next to in this church, uh, is our governor, is the governor of Tennessee. I live in Tennessee also, um, and it is the governor of Tennessee. And when she mentioned Sumner County, Gallatin, Tennessee is in Sumner County. So you're talking about people who a, a man who um, has money, power, influence with literally going all the way up to the governor legal. Um, so the police in Gallatin, Tennessee won't um, touch it. The police, the TBI won't touch it. And I think that's something that's also important to note is Gallatin, Tennessee has a population roughly of uh, 46,000 people. And I can't take credit for this thought because I did not know this. I learned it from another podcast that we've talked about uh, from the guy, the police officers from Boston, the investigators. Uh, Gallatin has a reconstruction analysis um, person who's been specially trained on it to reconstruct traffic accidents. And that person was not called in for this. And even if they didn't, even if they weren't available, they could have called in somebody from the state because Tennessee deals with about a thousand or so of those a year. And they didn't do that also. So I think that those are all important things to know. Um, because they, also I know have, they also have body cam. Yeah. And I, I want to make it really clear that getting the information on my, for my son was not easy. I had to prove to the hospital that I am his mother and that he lived here before they would release what medical records were about that thin in a death situation. Um, the medical chart should have been about three times that. So, um, but I had to fight for everything I got and, and really I was able to get most of it through FOIA and even for, even they had some of that redacted, but every time I asked for body cam footage, they just ignored that yet. I have a, a person that I've talked with who uh, will come public when he's ready, but he was, he's a former Gallatin police officer. He said, we wore body cam. They had yeah. body cam that day. Well, yeah, so they, they did have body cams then. They're, and they're hiding things at every level. And the district attorney is on the record talking to my PI, who I had at that time, uh, my, my private investigator saying, you know, I've, this is, a, I've got a mess. I have a mess yeah. here. I know this wasn't, as it was written up um, and he said, but I'm going to stick by my, my officers and the, my PI said, well, you know, we're going to do our best to get this out to national media. He said, national media. I've been a, I've been a DA for Ray Whitley. I've been a DA for 35 years or I've been in law enforcement for 35 years. This will ruin my career because I should have prosecuted this case. Yeah. And well, that's, said, that's, then that's on you. That's not our I mean, problem. That's, um, that's the other thing at every turn, we have these people who, you know, somebody else is pulling the string, somebody above them is pulling the string, whoever it is, but somebody, uh, I'll get it there. And with yeah. your help and with your listeners' help, you know, we, 
right now I'm living answered prayers because I would sit and pray at night for opportunities for people to, to help and help get us out, get this outside of Tennessee and get move this pat. The media here will not touch it. Why? Well, there's a reason. And, you know, I think because another he was on the news because he was on the news and that, well, we also, um, you know, Gloria, the, the Tennessee three, the, you know, the, the, that whole group that was just uh, the two were expelled, Gloria Johnson, uh, Justin Jones, Justin Pearson, the Gloria did not end up getting expelled, but you know, they, they're, they're, they're all really as a tight knit group. The same people that did that to them did that to us. It's called silencing. And I think there com comes, you know, we were talking about curiosities, you know, we, the motive, I don't know, I guess I'm sure you're going well, to ask. I, well, yeah, I was about to, because we, we have maybe about 10 minutes left. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was going to be my question for you. So I'll go ahead and just formally ask it. What would be the motive of a father because that's what that because that's what we're saying here. You know, there's implication. There's there's suspicion that Aaron could be implica implicated in the death of Grant. What motive would a father have to kill his own child? To silence him. For about what though? Gracie. Um, Grant had um, he had testified in court multiple times. Um, he he took great pride in who he was as a person, his integrity and also his intellect we were talking about earlier. And he had testified, and even testifying judges would say, you're never going back. Uh, there's a judge here in juvenile court in Williamson County that Grant told, I'm afraid my dad's going to kill me. And he, he looked at him, and he looked at Aaron, and he said, I think you're big enough to take care of yourself. You can go back. So he was very hurt that no one would believe his mother or believe him and not believe his sister to get us help. And when he turned 18, he had planned, he did not tell me this, he told his friends and his girlfriend, Hannah, that he was going to take Aaron to court himself and expose him and he for who he is and what he's doing and for what he's done to Gracie. And he was going to fight for custody of Gracie himself so that he could make sure she was safe. I know that this is a, this is a tough question, and so we can be very brief with it. But just so listeners know, um, what was he doing to Gracie? He raped and molested Gracie as often as he wanted um, from, from the time. a very young age. Sorry, you're about to say it, I'm sure. Um, well, um, she's been in with a specific counselor for this type of situation. And uh, it's Gracie does not have memory of a time in her life when she wasn't being so even yeah, being raped and molested. So even. Um, four, three, two. And Grant knew that. And when Aaron took them, that was what Gracie was for. She was his doll. She says that she was his wife. That was her role. And um, Grant tried to protect her. And Aaron put locks on the outside of Grant's door to prevent that from happening as Grant grew and got bigger. Um, so Grant was going to He didn't have to be a hero, but um, he he was going to be a hero. He was. He was going to save her. And um, because we have, as much as we're talking about the doors being shut in the post-passing uh, phase of Grant, they were shut that hard on me all the way through those years of, in court. 
my medical records were never allowed in. Uh, at character witnesses, no one. It was just a it was a stone block, and so. And Grant, any any time this type of stuff was brought up, you were you were stonewalled. It was thrown out. It was not investigated. He was just basically able to get away with it. And I know that for a lot of people, they don't understand how that can be. But when you have money, power, influence, you can shut that up pretty even quickly. Even when, you know, as much as I hate the thought of DCS being involved in our lives, they were. And even when DCS would come, because doctors would call in, something's wrong here, um, teachers would call in. Even when DCS investigated, you know, we have proof that there was, they would say they've investigated. That was just the wall. And if you look behind the wall, there was no investigation. So uh, the, everyone was everyone was bought off, influenced, or all the way through, which led to uh, every one of them that we've mentioned, every one of them have blood on their hands. And um, I, I, Gracie and I didn't realize how, how on top of that, Gracie, I didn't realize how much Grant was protecting her or how much he was protecting me 24-7 until he was gone. And then we started dealing with Aaron's wrath on our own. And that was, uh, that's a whole other story. But he, you know, he came after, he came for Gracie. So, um, but he gets to, you know, he, you know, the pattern is silencing. Um, if you look back at what I told you about our life as a family together, um, what did he want to do to me? He wanted to silence me. Um, it was silence and control. It was 100% control to get away with whatever so he what, wanted to what do. What is he going to do to Grant? What he used to do is take Grant's truck away. Um, so it's a lot of symbolism in the truck being on top of him. He would take the truck away from Grant um, to, to silence him or if he was punishing him. Um, or if Grant was getting a little too bold, if we were getting out of line, which meant if we wanted to spend too much time with each other, or if somebody cried because we had to be separated, we didn't go by custody rules. We went by Aaron's rules. Whatever he said, how much time we got was how well we behaved. Yeah. And if you look at the Tennessee three, what happened to them, that was to silence them. And um, it's the same tactic. It's the same pattern. They had no other way to silence Grant. You know, there's more that plays into this that Aaron's involved in. But I don't know what all Grant knew. But what I do know is that Grant was going to expose Aaron in court. He knew, he knew what was happening to his sister. And I think that alone is enough. That's all. I think that, I think that alone is enough. You know, I think it's important for us to say that um, Grant knew uh, when he, this was a plan when he turned 18. We have friends who have written the statements that, you know, I feel so bad for his friends because they've gone through so much pain for this is just. This is just, uh, I've asked so many people how, how to tell other people how to recognize evil before you're in it with evil. And they, I have doctors, scholars, oh, you, you don't. And I, but you don't. when you're in that moment, you, 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 well, don't. you just can't recognize it until you've seen it. And, and it, then you, yeah. but, um, but they've written these statements that granted told them these things and they've gone on the record so that we have that as well. Um, but, but Grant's birthday, his 18th birthday was June 13th. And this all happened on July 20th. 
And at that point, he couldn't be silenced anymore because he was an adult. He couldn't he do anything. He was out of the custody agreement. There was no other option. The truck couldn't be taken. He was. I'm sorry. I should say that. Um, I'm sorry. On that morning, he he didn't want to go to that facility. And he had told Aaron he did not want to go. But when Aaron says, you're going, you're going. So Grant had didn't have lung full lung capacity. We had checks, x-rays on Friday because he wasn't healed. You know, COVID, he wasn't, the whole team had been exposed, his travel baseball team, and Grant wasn't feeling well at all. And he told him, I don't feel well. This is ridiculous. Why are you spending this money for a pitching, a pro-style pitching evaluation when I'm sick? You know, why are you doing this? And there was just, you, you're not going to, you're not going to get an answer. You have, everything has to be texted to Aaron, no phone calls, things like that. And the text, when he when he doesn't like what you said, you won't get an answer. So the night before, Grant asked me to text and tell him you didn't want him to be there. And uh, I did. I texted Aaron and said, Grant doesn't want, it's exactly what Grant said. He said, I tell him that I'm a man now. I don't want him there because he's at every practice. It's embarrassing to Grant. He's always at practice because they never would see each other. But Aaron could always see him at a practice. Aaron's every practice, watching, hawking, lurking. And Grant's like, I don't want you there. I'm a man now. And I, if you need to pay, I understand that. But I want to do this on my own. And we didn't get a response. And I knew he was angry. And the next morning, Grant got dressed. And he, I cooked his breakfast. And uh, he, even though he didn't want to go, he did his own. He puts on his smile and goofing off and laughing. And the two-arm bear hug. And I love you so much, Mom. And then he, you know, this very house I'm sitting right now, he walked to the front door and he turned around and he goes, Hey mom. And I said, yes. And he said, he said, mom, I don't want to die in Gallatin today. I didn't know that part. And an hour later, he just, I got a call, not a text. I got a call from Aaron and he was dead in Gallatin. It almost makes me wonder. And I, I, we've talked about this, you and I at length. Um, Sorry. So <laughs> I almost wonder, and, and I know we're we're almost out of time, but I almost wonder if the re, if Gallatin was chosen because of connections. I believe it was. It seems like that's possible. So, um, I absolutely couple, believe that to be true. A couple things, um, because we are we are out of time. Um, I want to make sure that we talk about your GoFundMe and what you want to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you wouldn't mind. Would you briefly tell the listeners, uh, well, and then say, and don't tune out guys for this. This is important. And, and we will talk about one more thing very briefly after this that I think you guys are going to want to know about. But um, as far as the GoFundMe, which I will post um, on YouTube, because this podcast will also have the video that we're doing and put it on YouTube. And I'll put it on uh, my website, uh, justinontiktok.com. What is what is the point of the GoFundMe? What are you tra- what is what are you wanting to accomplish with it? And what else outside of that can people do to help? Okay. Uh the only point of the GoFundMe is and, and I hate to ask for anybody for money, but the, but it, we have to because I have I've got to take this into my own hands and open a case and do the investigation myself. So it's for exhumation and the autopsy that was never done. It's also for an accident reconstruction. Um, the answers are there and um, 
but it's going to, it's going to cost a lot of money. Um, I do support Gracie on my own and we're proud to say that we, what we do, we do on our own. And that's, but I also would sell everything I have to get this investigation open. That wouldn't get me where we need to be to, to, um, to do those items. So it's exhumation, autopsy and reconstruction, um, accident reconstruction. Um, the GoFundMe is uh, Justice for Grant and um, on the GoFundMe link. And um, with the money that I'm contributing, um, uh, you know, my prayer is that we'll, we'll get to a point where I can hire an independent uh, medical examiner that I'm sure there'll be a battle in court also that will have to be paid for. Um, I would assume that Aaron, he shouldn't mind care if we, if I was able to get an autopsy, but I would assume he'll fight that. And, um, but that's what it's for. And it's, maybe, it's, it's so maybe that you don't have to tell him, maybe you don't have to tell him, maybe, yeah. you, don't tell, maybe you don't have to tell him. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I do want to say that that's, that's what it's for. It's that's all it's for is to get grant justice. And he deserves that. Um, I can't bring him back, but I can get him justice and I won't stop until I do. And in that, we're protecting Gracie as well. And it's incredibly important that we do that um, because, uh, you know, even just as recently as Friday, Aaron, you know, she has a no contact, but he he kind of showed up in an indirect way. So I know he's, uh, it's like she says, you know, he, he, he'll never let go until he no, stops. People like that, they can't stand to not have control. Um, so they won't stop. And, and I can, you know, tell people from, you know, again, if, if you, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably also followed the Murdoch trial. And when you look at Stephen Smith, his family just exhumed him and it is not cheap to get the things that you're talking about here, to get a body exhumed, to get an independent autopsy, to get a, um, an accident reconstruction, that stuff is not cheap. So that's what the money's going for. If you feel so inclined, again, um, I will be listing this on, on YouTube and as well on just on TikTok.com. Uh, if you, if you want to donate to that. Now, the other thing that I want to say about this thing is if you Google this story and you look at it, um, cause it is starting to gain a little bit of traction, which it needs, um, you know, share this story, whether it's you share this podcast or you share shorter TikTok videos, um, and we will try to pull excerpts on this and use it on, you know, smaller things just to get the information out there. But um, you'll see it a lot of time as Grant and Gracie Solomon. And we we had Angie and I had the talk about having Gracie on here and making this a two part episode. But I think that there are two stories here. You know, there is the Grant Solomon story, which you all have just heard. And then there is the Gracie Solomon story. Uh, Gracie is she's 16 now. She is. Um, she. She wants to tear, tell her story. She's told it before on YouTube when she was much younger. 12. Um, yeah, when she was 12, she told her story. Um, she wants to help others who have gone through what she has gone through. And unfortunately, you know, the, the vast majority of my following is, is women. And unfortunately, there are far too many women who have experienced this. Um, so she wants to help be an advocate, but she also wants to share her story. So on the next episode of this podcast, we will be talking to Gracie um, about her experiences. And there's, there aren't going to be pointed questions at that one. There will be 
letting her share what she feels uh, comfortable sharing, because obviously this is a topic that you have to tread lightly with. So I just want people to know that she is a very, um, you know, I, I met her uh, virtually at least tonight for the first time. You can tell that she is just a ray of sunshine. She is, she is just, you know, sweet and, and happy and outgoing and, um, she deserves to have her story told. And Gracie I don't want wants, Gracie wants Gracie as, as sweet and happy and all those things you're saying and her athleticism and everything, her scholar, every, her, her main goal is justice for her brother and justice for herself yeah, so, and then to help others. Yeah. It, it's, she's, she, she's really, she's really quite, um, an awe inspiring kid. She really is. Um, for being, Unfortunately, being so young, she's had to grow up very fast and deal with things that no, she didn't get to have, she didn't get to be a child. No, neither um, one of them So, so that episode will drop uh, June 1st. And um, I'm telling you all this now, because if this is some topic, this topic is something that is a trigger warning for you or a trigger for you, um, you might want to skip that episode. But if you can listen to it, uh, I would encourage you to do that because again, her story is important. Everybody who's gone through this, their story is important. And, and we're going to give her a voice, not just for her, for, but for people, for anybody else who has had to go through this. So um, before we, we end, Angie, any last things that you want to say? I just want to say thank you so much, Justin. Um, and thank you to all your listeners. Um, like I said briefly earlier, this, these are answered prayers that I prayed for that we would somehow be able to get around the Tennessee media and help to get the story out past the control. And that's what's happening. And if that's all anybody can do is help get this. Um, we're, we're really, we do have traction right now. And just to keep this thing getting steamrolling even more and more out of the control of Tennessee. Make snowball. Some I mean, snowball then, but, but it's answered prayers, but we don't have a case opened yet. And until I have a case opened for Grant, um, and then we're, we are getting some movement on justice for Gracie. Um, but until I have a case open for Grant, I've just told a story. I've not accomplished anything. And my biggest goal is to, I'm going to accomplish that. Well, we're going to make sure that, that this podcast, this and, and excerpts from it, we, we show people and tell people about it. Um, we'll make sure that we do the same with Gracie. So I think, which, well, you know, we'll wait till June 1st to share, share the, the information you shared with me about Gracie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll wait, we'll wait, we'll let her, that is her news. We will let her. Yeah. We'll let Gracie. So. Yeah. yeah that's, we'll that's, her, that's, that's even better. Yeah. We'll let her tell it. Um, well, I want to, I want to just say thank you for coming on and, and talking about this. I, I know that it's, this is a difficult topic and you've gone through something that, um, no parent should ever have to go through and, and not in a, in a very traumatic way. Um, as I said to you when we, before we started this, um, I would encourage you to reach out to Joe Petito. He, I, uh, I, I think you two have, unfortunately, we always say, I think, unfortunately, we know that you two have something. It's a really shitty club <laughs> that you guys are part of. So I don't mean to laugh on it. That's not funny at all, but it's just a really shitty club that you guys are part of. And yeah. it's, it's just, it's just so preventable. That's the thing. It's just the way it's, it's just, it shouldn't for, for these kids, it just should never happen. No. Um, well, again, thank you so much for sharing your story. 
I appreciate it. We're going to get it out there. And for last thing I'll say to the listeners, um, if you want to reach out to me, if you have connections with media outside of the state of Tennessee, if you are an independent journalist, a social media creator that has, you know, influencing and helped the reach of the story, email me justins, J-U-S-T-I-N-S on TikTok at gmail.com. You can also go to justontiktok.com and, um, you know, there's multiple platforms to, to get me from there. Um, reach out to me. I will work with you. Um, we can work on getting you in touch with Angie if we need to, because again, the importance of this is um, getting the story out there. That is the That's ultimate right. goal. So, mm-hmm. so again, thank you, Angie, so much. And um, and again, we'll, we'll we're going to do everything that we can. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.